Hello and welcome to PodPod, your guide to the craft and business of podcasting. This week we are looking at a podcast advertising case study from software firm Miro. But first, I am joined by PodPod's editorial director, Gideon Spanier. Gideon, how are you doing? Good, Adam. Good to see you. You too. So, have you been watching I'm a Celebrity? So, my confession is not really, but I my job is obviously to pay attention to what's going on. So, my main fear was that Nigel Farage would win. And <laughs> the, the fact he made it to the final three, I thought, was quite a big deal. Probably another thing for Rishi Sunak to worry about. But well, that's not yes. That's not necessarily the main podcast news. No, the the key reason we're interested in I'm a Celebrity is that Sam Thompson, who is the co-host of the Staying Relevant podcast, is officially the new king of the jungle. And I think it's particularly interesting this year because a fair few of the campmates for this year's I'm a Celebrity were podcasters. So in addition to at Thompson, you had Tony Bellew, who is a former boxer and also does a podcast for BBC Sounds. Uh, Tony Bellew is angry. You had Grace Dent from the Guardian's Comfort Eating podcast. And you had Nella Rose, who was one third of Pressed uh, until she left earlier this year. And I think it's really emblematic of how much podcasting has just become a normal part of the mainstream media ecosystem and you know media environment if you like i think absolutely and i see it also in other tv programs where you sort of go well there's the the idea that a podcaster is a job Mm. that's now in mainstream culture and because it's not only real but it's a sort of way of almost some of these shows trying to show they're part of culture and that they're a 2023 kind of show rather than you wouldn't have had that in 2017 or 2015 absolutely and we've already seen that adelicious and bauer who are uh, two of the companies behind the staying relevant podcast have been positively cock a hoop about the prospects of being able to leverage Thompson's win in the jungle for commercial deals and sponsorships and endorsements of the podcast, uh, which is really a really interesting prospect. I'll be, I'll be watching closely to see whether or not the win translates into uh, a lot more attention onto the show. They also uh, just at the end of last week announced a live tour for staying relevant uh, currently only about five dates i think next spring but i would not remotely be surprised if that live tour ended up getting significantly extended after he was officially crowned winner well talking of live tours i'm actually off as i think you are to a recording of the rest is politics in the royal albert hall yes that's later this week which should be very exciting indeed i mean I feel like you could say this about any week in the last three or four years, but it's certainly an eventful week in which to be discussing politics. Yeah, it's great. And uh, I think we know that, again, Alistair Campbell and Rory Stewart are, are now, po- they're definitely podcasters and we've seen the rest is franchise that keep expanding. And yet the flip side to all this is we've seen and heard in the news that one of the biggest audio platforms in the world, the biggest audio streaming platform, has been making job cuts. So this is Spotify. Yes, Spotify last week announced a rather unexpected 17% 
uh, round of cuts to its global workforce, amounting to just over 1,500 roles across a huge range of job types and areas and whatnot, uh, including multiple in the uh, sort of podcast sphere. And it comes after some really quite positive third quarter financial results for the company, which saw it return to profitability for the first time in two years, I believe. And I think it caught a lot of people off guard. But what's notable about this, I think, is that it underscores that Spotify is at heart a tech company. And like a lot of tech companies, it is having to readjust its kind of growth plans. It hired very heavily in the sort of post-pandemic era or mid-pandemic era, I suppose, and is now having to sort of scale that back in a lot of areas, I think. Yeah, and it's very interesting to me because Spotify discloses in its financials that actually the UK is still its biggest market. It's over a billion euros in revenue, so Mm. not far off a billion pounds. It's a very significant business in the UK. We know subscriptions, the main part of the revenue mix. Mm. Uh, But I don't think Spotify gave any indication of geographical spread for these cuts. So No, and I don't think the cuts have been massively weighted towards any particular territory, as far as I understand. I think what we're seeing from Spotify's recent strategic moves, though, is that while subscriptions are the bulk of its business, I don't know if they want that to continue being the case. They've got a lot of subscribers, but you do have to think at this point, surely everyone who may be interested has given it a shot, right? There can't be that many sort of net new users that haven't given Spotify a go. And the impression that I get is that Spotify wants to move much more towards advertising as a a sort of key model. Well, is this a good time for us to talk about the interview? It is indeed. So this week we have Brandon Lutz, who is the head of offline and experimental media at Miro, which is a uh, collaboration software company, and Teresa Elliott, who is the chief revenue officer for Ad Results Media. And we're talking all about Miro's history in the podcast advertising space, why they moved from host read to programmatic and back again, and the plans that they've got for their podcast advertising strategy going forward. For this interview with Brandon and Teresa, I was joined by Reem Makari. Have a listen. So, Brandon and Teresa, thank you so much for joining us on PodPod. Thank you for having us. Hello. Yeah. Hello. How's it going? Not bad at all. So, uh, to kick off with, then, we're going to be talking today about Miro's work in podcast advertising with Ad Results Media. But before we get to that, Teresa, can you tell me a little bit about Ad Results Media? Ad Results Media is an agency and media company that specializes in all things audio. We provide end to end solutions for our clients, everything ranging from media planning and buying to advanced analytics, creative services, and everything that you could imagine in between that you would need to get an advertising campaign live. Um, and we do that across podcasts, streaming audio, satellite radio, terrestrial radio, anything that your ears might 
here, we are there, and that even includes video podcasts, which often appear on YouTube these days. So, Brandon, did Miro come to ARM specifically because you wanted to invest in audio? Yeah, so for us at Miro, we were really asking ourselves this question of how do we go and reach a broader audience? A lot of our activities prior to starting with Ad Results Media were focused on more, I'd say, bottom of funnel channels. Um, but we're really looking to grow awareness and more top of funnel and reaching a very specific kind of user and audience. And so podcast advertising was something that the business was quite interested in. Um, but when I had started, we were sort of building this expertise from scratch. And so we needed the help of an agency partner to give us a lay of the land and help us plan out a, a sort of long-term podcast strategy that would work for the business. What would you say were the main objectives for your campaign? Yeah, so I think starting, our focus was more tied to performance-driven KPIs. So how do we use podcasts as a channel to acquire new users who haven't tried Miro before? And then once we had the bones set in, and prove that the channels drove some sort of ROI, it would allow us to think more broadly, not just about performance, but also on a brand level, an awareness level. How can we use the channel? So we employ now a bit of both, but it definitely started more on the performance side of things. And that sort of direct response uh, advertising is something that we've we've seen a lot with podcasting specifically. But what was the, the kind of trigger that led you towards including more brand marketing in that sort of mix. I think what's really important about podcast advertising that ad results has been very strong with, but also a lot of research tells us is that from a brand awareness standpoint, we know that podcast advertising works on awareness and consideration, but also as a both a short-term and a long-term marketing vehicle. We work in a B2B technology company. That's what we do. I think a lot of our historical experience is more tuned toward, I'd say, more short-term driven KPIs. Um, so if we were able to show the business that there is short-term ROI coming from this channel, it would make it much easier for us to develop a long-term strategy that included more awareness tactics. So the way that uh, I framed the podcast program at Miro was to say, let's prove in the short term, do a series of tests, and then that will make it easier for us to unlock budget for more of the other projects we wanted to move towards, including, for example, host-read sponsorships. Teresa, how did you ensure that Miro was meeting its brand objectives? Did you work very collaboratively or um, was there a different ways that you've worked depending on the part of the campaign? How, how was the process like? Yes, well, I want to be clear. I can't take the credit here. We have an amazing team that works with Brandon for, on a day-to-day -day basis that I am so thankful for. They are really our team of experts. I get the pleasure of speaking about their expertise and all the great things that they're doing. Um, so they've told me that Brandon's really bad dream client as well because he's smart and asks the tough questions, which we really appreciate. They have been collaborative from end to end, really just thinking about what are those campaign objectives and goals that we're looking to achieve. And then because we have at ARM about 25 years of audio history, um, we have data and insights that really 
helps us guide clients towards what we think will perform best for them. So we use that intelligence. We have that conversation with the client, in this case, Brandon, and really try to build a plan that we hope will drive success. And, and because we have this great team behind it, they're always there to optimize as well. And just make sure that even as goals evolve, um, that they can continue to you know, collaborate effectively. I was just going to say, just because you called Brandon um, a, a dream client, I was wondering if from your experience, do you, do you think it makes a big difference um, with the results working with a client that's being very collaborative versus working with one that's very much offhand? Absolutely. Yeah, collaboration, I think, is key. And collaboration, I think, is openness as well, right? If, if a client is hiring an agency, I hope that they're comfortable with that agency enough to be transparent and share what success is going to look like for them and their brand and share any data or insights that they might have on the back end that we might not get to see directly, you know, that would help guide us. Because um, at the end of the day, if our clients' ads aren't successful, we're not successful. We're only in business because we can do things together that help drive results. Um, and at the end of the day, that's what we want to see for the industry as well. The more successful our advertisers are, the more successful podcast advertising is, the more money that can flow to creators, which is ultimately what we love to do as well. And then it creates a better consumer experience. So I see this beautiful cycle um, when advertising works well. On that subject, then, let's talk about the creative strategy. So what was the makeup of the initial campaign? And did that sort of change over time? Uh, did you start with programmatic or uh, did you go straight in with kind of host reds and deeper sort of partnerships? Yeah. So uh, I break down our experience working in advertising in a different phases. So um, in phase one of our podcast strategy at Miro, we really focused on really dove into host red first as a business. And so we worked with Ad Results Media to uh, short list, I think it was about 30 to 33 shows that we felt indexed quite well with our target audience at the time. But the challenge was proving back the sort of ROI we needed to continue further investment. And to start with host red sponsorships, we weren't quite seeing that short term. So, and again, talking about, you know, the partnership with Ad Results Media, which is so important because I have had to pivot the team a few times in different directions in terms of approach. Um, you know, when we didn't see phase one work, we moved to phase two, which was a purely programmatic-led strategy. The reason for doing so is that with mm. programmatic, we have way more control over what geographies we can test into. We can run causal lift studies internally and, and look at the rate of conversion between regions with podcast advertising active and those without. And then, of course, we have a bit more control over our creative messaging, right? We can specifically write scripts and hit those points we want to and then change them as they come. Uh, we worked for several phases in this way, and there was about three phases of iterative testing and building to prove that we saw statistically significant uplift in conversions with that strategy, which was great. So you mentioned statistically significant uplift there. Uh, what kind of uplift levels uh, would you classify as statistically significant? In my experience in working in offline, so offline and audio advertising, anytime I look at something with 
80% to 99% statistically significant uplift on an offline channel, that's pretty good because it's it's pretty difficult to measure objectively when compared to something like paid search or or affiliates. So there's the level of statistical mm-hmm. rigor we have, and then there's the actual uplift we saw. So in the terms of our particular impact we saw, like we were looking at a user signups for a particular segment of our user base, and that was close to about, I believe, a 10% uplift in our total U.S. audience at the time when compared to a region that had no podcast advertising. So this was a small subset of the U.S., um, but that in itself was a pretty huge lift for us for just gen- testing in general, not to mention an offline channel. And this was the first time at Miro that we really saw this come into play for a channel like this, which was pretty exciting. So on the website, you've been writing a lot about host thread ads and host thread sponsorships and the effectiveness of, you know, using that trust between the host and the listener and the connection um, and how that could be very effective for a brand. But in your case, it was programmatic that worked more for for you. So why why do you think that was? I think when we reflected back on phase one and we asked ourselves why we didn't see the results we wanted to with the host thread strategy, we looked back at the shows we were advertising on and looking at sort of three aspects, right? There's the product, which is Miro. There's the host and the audience and then the conversations that appear on that show. And I think one of the biggest reasons why we weren't seeing success in the host red space at that time was that there wasn't a full, in my opinion, sort of contextual link between all three in which the product the target audience and the conversations happening on that show were all relevant to the space that Miro wants to be a part of, right? Whether it's very tactically conversations related to our target audience. So an example would be conversations about product management or on a broader sense, innovation, right? And Miro really believing that it's a product for innovation and helping teams to innovate. So From a programmatic standpoint, I think it worked because we were able to have the right target audience made for it, and then we could create the messaging. But then once we started to pivot, once again, the AdResults team to host Reds again, we had that comfort and that knowledge that podcast advertising works. Now let's go back to the fact that most people prefer host Red endorsements. We'll just find the shows that this makes absolute sense for, right? Hosts that are not just users of Miro, but they love Miro. They represent a thought leader in their space that we want to be in. And most importantly, they can talk about Miro pretty independently, whether because they've used it before or their experience with tools like Miro is pretty advanced already. Um, And that's what's been really successful for us. So on that subject then, how did you approach the creative uh, when it came to the host red in terms of the the scripts did you kind of basically just leave the the hosts to script their own ad copy or did you kind of give them a sort of quite structured brief how did you approach that i think when we first started part of our evaluation criteria that we changed to was putting quite a significant amount of weight into whether or not the host has used miro before and that definitely influenced how deeply involved we were in the creative process if we were lucky and we had a host who already used Miro and was quite vocally supportive of it. We started off with a pretty hands-off strategy. We said, talk 
about Miro in a way that you think your audience would care about. For other shows that were maybe familiar with the product but hadn't used it directly, then we had a more involved process. The ad results team and Miro would come together to do a sort of onboarding, right? Go through a basic run through of what the product looks like and why it works well, and then give them some talking points to sort of hit on in their scripts. And that was sort of phase one. And it, and it, it started quite broad. And since August, we've definitely been way more focused on use cases. So now instead of, have you heard of Miro? Have you used it? It is, you know, which of these 12 key use cases have you maybe used Miro for, right? And narrow it down and then talk through the features or the integrations that support that specific use case. From from Ad Results Media's perspective, how did you find potential partners to work with um, for the host reads? Our team has more relationships with the networks and hosts than I've seen anywhere in my history of working across audio, which is really impressive. They know many of the hosts from a personal perspective. What types of things do they like to do? What's their family like? You know, what? how do they spend their time? So they can really make recommendations that help us connect brands to those hosts who can speak authentically, as Brandon mentioned, about the product and about the experience that they've had, because that is also where we find the most success with the hosts is when they can really speak authentically and passionately about the product or service that they are representing. So, so is it all mm. all done manually then? Do you not, because um, there's like a number of uh, of platforms now that are also using AI to contextually target to find which podcasts align with which brands and find out what they're talking about. But uh, uh, so but from your side, you're doing it mostly manually then? Well, I think from a host ad perspective, our team has internal tools that we use that help, you know, accelerate some of these learnings. And then it, it, it is that personal connection too and the knowledge that they have. So I would say a mix of both for sure. And um, I think one of the one of the key goals I have for our team when it comes to podcast advertising is large shows with large reach are great, but a lot of our audience are also quite niche. And so a lot of our media buy also consists of quite new shows or a bit smaller shows. And I like that we have a balance of both because it feels good that we're able to support creators, especially as they're starting their podcast journey, right? So to be in those conversations and also be a sponsor of those individuals who are trying to innovate uh, is really, I think, a powerful message that the brand is sending out as well. Can you give us some examples of some of those shows on sort of both sides of the scale? Um, so I think the larger shows that we've really worked with and that we're really you know proud of that come to mind, How I Built This with Guy Raz is a super powerful show that we're you know really excited to partner with. But we also partner with more niche audiences or hosts that are quite large. So Lenny's podcast, which is run by Lenny Richitsky, he's a very well-known growth advisor in the Silicon Valley area. He has grown tremendously over his start of his podcast, which I think is just a little over a year and a half to two years ago. And his conversations are amazing. He's bringing on really, really great product leaders across the business to talk about their various experiences and building product-led teams uh, the tooling they use. And so it's just really contextually great for us. 20VC is another program that's quite large that we work with. Um, Harry um, Stebbings is a is a VC uh, capitalist and in, um, in based out of London. And he, again, is bringing on 
very similar folks in the product and the growth sphere and business leaders to talk about their experiences in tech and growing businesses, uh, which is really great. So those are some of the larger shows that come to mind. There's also small ones or smaller ones. I don't, uh, you know, make it seem like they're not as important, right? Um, right. But this is human-centered mm. design as a good example of a, a show that's a bit more niche and it's tailored to individuals that use human-centered design thinking in their work. And what I also like is as you go into a slightly smaller show, I get the sense that for a lot of listeners, it feels more personable to them. It feels more like a conversation versus when you're listening to some a really quite large production, you don't feel maybe as, um, it doesn't feel as intimate. And what's amazing is that there are so many creators out there that we still haven't tapped into uh, that we probably want to be you know, part of those conversations and stories. So I just want to circle back to the measurement side of things for a moment. How did you guys measure the the performance of the podcast? I mean, we've touched on some of the, the data points that, that Miro can provide in terms of things like tracking the, the uplift uh, in terms of new, new signups and whatnot. But are there any other sort of um, tools or, or tracking techniques that are used to to measure the the effectiveness of the various campaigns? Yes, we only selected shows with Brandon and team that were able to use pixel-based tracking on, which provided all of that great insight Brandon mentioned so that we could get those learnings and then further uh, make selections on shows that might be similar or effective. And um, that sort of pixel-based tracking, is that something that you think is is an essential uh, an essential tool for for tracking podcast advertising performance it, again it really depends on the kpis of the advertiser um from a performance perspective absolutely it's amazing because you get you get the insights that you wouldn't normally get in this context um but there's you know there are shows that don't have pixel-based tracking yet and it might be more cost effective um, in some sense for some advertiser to really just go for a different type of reach and add that to the mix. So it all comes back to, you know, there's an art and a science to some of this where it's really understanding what those goals are for the campaign, for the brand, and then finding the right mix that makes sense. But of course, for me, I love data points. So the more data points we can get, um, you know, the more success we can drive. Brandon, I know you already touched on some of the results from the campaign in terms of what you'd consider a good uplift and, and the percentages. But are there any other results that you can share from the campaign in terms of, of how successful it was and how do you think it performed overall? In terms of performance, we had several different phases of testing where we increased our area of testing so geographically and obviously budget corresponded with that but also looked at can we get more targeted over time so that was also the challenge that my marketing leadership also sort of planned to me right our first iteration of programmatic testing was maybe a bit broader on targeting and we still saw success in this way so it was an indicator that even if we did very little targeting the general consensus is that knowledge workers are listening to podcasts, right? So that was sort of phase one. Phase two was great. Let's increase the area. So, and that was a decision that was looking at what percentage of our revenue broken down by region in the U.S. How does it look? And then that was used to make investment decisions in terms of what states we want to test in. That grew. And then also, yeah, 
great. So knowledge workers is good, but you know, we have a very specific audience in that as well, right? People that work on product development teams. And can we go deeper there? And working with the ad results team to understand what different levers we have in terms of targeting capabilities, contextual, third-party audiences, um, geographic selection, that gets us closer to that, which um, just it helped with efficiency and like overall lift. So in addition to 10% lift, that was tied to a, a target cost per acquisition, right? So are we efficient in that lift? I think our first test was probably like 40% under the target, which was quite good. But then the second iteration after that was substantially lower as well. So it was like 70% lower. And that was our sort of ceiling, right? So my philosophy was if we can get at or below this particular target, with refinements and future testing, we can get closer to the sort of actual target that we're looking at. So even in the first test, we were under that threshold, which was good. And has that CPA continued to come down? Uh, it's steady right now, I think, as a consequence of just seasonality. Um, but mm. also, I think there is a bit of a, that we're seeing sort of a finite limit to the programmatic side um, in terms of how much targeting we can go to. So the programmatic is performance-based, and it's going to stay that way. Host red is our space to look at reach and incremental reach, right, as the mm. primary method of measurement. And that is continuing to grow as we add shows, right? So um, it's not just reach, though. It's reach to a specific target audience. Like, how do we know that these individuals that are listening work in the product development space? And our best indicators for that are if it's a show about software development, you know, someone who's not involved in that space probably isn't listening. So... Um, again, it, it's important in the vetting process of new shows that if we're going to add reach, that it's intentionally being added. Um, and it helps tell a strong story about our how we're trying to reach the right people. That's where I think a blend of programmatic and host read as well can be really useful. Oftentimes, I'm hearing people lately speak of it as an either or. I don't think it's an either or. I think your audience is listening in different places and depending on that strategy, depending on that goals, it's finding that right blend where you can be the most effective. And that might mean dialing up in one area at a certain point in time. And it might mean dialing up in another area at a different point in time. But with the number of creators that are out there and the opportunity to reach them in different ways with them helping to reach your audience with the right message, I think having the ability to test and that flexibility to take a little risk, so to speak, which really isn't as risky as I think many of us might feel um, because we do have more data and insights behind all of this these days. Um, I think that's really important for, for brands. That's where Brandon has been great as well. Like, okay, let's try this. Let's see what's going. Let's, let's add a little bit more. Yeah. Your organization's appetite for risk, I think, plays an important impact in maybe where you start your brand in the podcasting space. If you're lucky, right, that, you know, you have leaders who believe in the channel and they know and understand the long-term value of a brand, then I think it's much easier to say, let's go in maybe first with host red and let's be very intentional with who we find. If you find that your leadership is a bit more on the conservative side, which is completely fine, I might say, okay, maybe programmatic is a place to start just because you might have a better, I guess in our experience, chance of proving short-term ROI and giving them that confidence before you start layering on host red. I think it just depends on the organization. 
On that topic then, obviously you started off with programmatic, scaled up to Hostred. Can you see yourself scaling up even further to look at deeper partnerships with perhaps bespoke episodes or miniseries of existing podcasts or even potentially a, a fully branded Miro podcast? Yeah, it's so amazing just how much you can do in this space. Um, I think maybe prior to me getting so involved in the podcasting world, I, I thought of it as a very binary area. There's a brand, there's an advertiser, and there's a show, and you just pay for spots, right? And what I've come to learn yeah. is that there is tremendous value and opportunity in going beyond the host red sponsorship. And even asking ourselves as a brand that conversation of, do we have something compelling to say that, you know, maybe warrants us to get into the space? There's nothing planned yet, right? But it's still fun to have those conversations with ourselves about innovation and how Miro can mm. be a, a greater thought leader in that place. I would love to be able to get, for example, more of our our leaders, right, on specific shows because I think they're they have immense expertise in their different areas. Uh, and, you know, sharing that with the world, with people who are senior to junior level, I think is incredibly powerful. What would you say were some of the specific key takeaways from the campaign that you didn't expect to get before starting and they're ones that you'll now use for any future stuff? I find super interesting that I take with me everywhere now is the length of an ad. And I used to think of it as very one directional, which I acknowledge that Miro can be difficult to explain in a short period of time. So I might say a 15 second endorsement is not something that we want to play with just because how can you explain that in such a short period of time? But there's also the now other side that I learned, which is there definitely is diminishing returns if you have an ad that is substantially longer than 30 seconds, a minute, two minutes, um, you know, in the process of working, we had a show that was incredibly enthusiastic about Miro and loved talking about it. And we initially started with, okay, well, talk about Miro as you would. And this resulted in a, in a quite long ad. I think it wound up being like four to five minutes. Um, oh, wow. Yes, which we love the enthusiasm. I love the enthusiasm. But, uh, you know, it was a learning for us as well. One, um, less can be more, but also was a learning for us as a briefing team. Um, you know, maybe we actually do need to have more responsibility in terms of what we're having them focus on um, versus sort of leaving it to to the whim, to the wind, I, I suppose. Teresa, for Ad Results Medium, in the in the beginning of the episode, you mentioned when you were explaining what Ad Results Media was, you mentioned video podcasts as well. Mm -hmm. um, and I was wondering what your thoughts are on the introduction of video in podcasting and how, how that has changed your approach to ads. I think it's fantastic. Um, we, again, like I said, it, it gives us an opportunity to create a connection with brands where their audience is. And I think we're seeing more and more, there's more research that's starting to come out around how Gen Z in particular, they might say they watch their podcast versus listen to a podcast. And I think it's anytime you see a microphone, that becomes a podcast to them regardless of where they are. So it 
you know, if they're going to be focused, if the user's focused and engaged, then there's no better place to get a message across to them. It is still in an audio sense. I think video also opens up the opportunity um, for brands with a, a product or a visual element to be okay. present um, in that space too. But um, I love it. I love to see it. I love innovation. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure we will see more and more podcasts start to add that video component as well. And selfishly, you know, I love that transition also because our product can be, it's a very big challenge for us as a creative team to explain a very visual product. And so it makes it, it takes mm. the the burden off a little bit that we can show what we're talking about. Is that something that you've started working into your campaigns with those uh, partners that do use video? For example, I know you've advertised previously on uh, The Week in Tech, which has been a uh, an early pioneer in video uh, podcasting for some years. Yeah, so it's actually uh, one of our one of the important criteria that we look and evaluate shows on, right, is uh, not just how long the endorsement is, but is there more than just an audio component to it? So we definitely would wait a show more if they are having a component that allows us to show the product, right? It just makes it makes mm, the experience for the listener way better. And they can see what they're talking about and there's this sort of aha moment. It's important to be as visual as we can. Yeah. So I would say moving forward it definitely is a consideration that we we like to weigh more heavily on if it's available. So for a product that's maybe not the easiest to uh, explain succinctly in audio form. How do you go about uh, giving partners a crash course in how the product works and how to kind of talk about it for the benefit of their listeners? One of the things when we made a, a sort of transition to really leaning on ad results needed to help us with host red sponsorships, a huge amount of the conversation became how do we onboard shows at scale because it's a it can be manual that i i said i asked i ask of the art the ad results team really get shows that look and sound really good and and be intentional and we've developed a process together of onboarding these shows that i think is a really cool way that we leverage our product and expertise within the product to essentially curate the onboarding experience for each of our shows so when we evaluate a show and we onboard, the ad results team sort of locks in and narrows down what are the key use cases that they're familiar with. And then on our end, we will build the onboarding experience that's catered to those specific use cases and we'll talk about and show the specific features and we'll do recordings on the boards themselves so that, it, it, again, it feels very buttoned up. And not only is it something that the ad results team can do with the shows, but it gives the shows a guide so that when they're moving outside of that onboarding period, they can continually reference that piece of content that we gave them. Um, and I think that's a really cool use of our of our time and our partnership that seems to be getting good feedback and I'm super happy about. If there is a marketer out there who's not sure if audio should be a part of their mix, whether that's podcasting or streaming or anything that we're defining as audio these days, now's the time to get in and start testing. I recently saw a stat, I believe it was from iHeartRadio, that had said about 31% of a consumer's time is spent engaging with audio, but only around 9% of a marketer's budget is spent 
with audio. Mm. There is a real opportunity for brands to get engaged with their audience where they're spending their time. Well, it sounds like you guys are going to be busy next year. Brandon, Teresa, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Great to meet you both. So that was Brandon and Teresa from Miro and Ad Results Media, respectively, talking about Miro's journey in podcast advertising. And one of the things that really stood out to me was the fact that Miro originally started out running Host Read ads and then moved away from Host Read to programmatic. And I thought that was particularly interesting because we see time and again that host read advertising is sort of more effective and more impactful in terms of all of the key performance metrics that marketers love. But the big sort of asterisk on that is that it does rely on having the right partnerships in place and, you know, having having your host read ads read by hosts that are sort of a good a good fit and if you don't have that if you're not sort of coming into it with a a fairly well-rounded idea of where you want your ads to be running and against what content that can be quite challenging i thought it was really interesting that as a response to that miro went to programmatic to refine their approach with more sort of a b testing and more kind of data targeting and all that kind of stuff in order to to prove the ROI before being able to sort of invest more thoughtfully in the uh, host red side of things. So, yeah, I'd agree. And also it sort of reflects what advertisers generally will, how they'll approach things. They, they want a mixture of brand awareness and performance. I actually don't know, but I'm pretty sure that host reads are more expensive on the creative side. The actual purchase of the ad space programmatically, you might set a budget and then you, so that, that of course you might be able to spend less. But my, my point to you is, yeah, advertisers are always thinking about data and the return on investment. Sometimes when you have a brand strategy, you are going to take a longer time and that's a good thing too. So I, I would also applaud both the openness and the willingness to experiment. Why would you set out on one course and then say, well, we're not going to change and we're not going to experiment? It's the opposite. It's really, it's. I find it positive. Absolutely. And Miro is a key example of that. They started out using podcast advertising with a keen focus on performance marketing and you know direct response advertising. A lot of the traditional kind of offer code stuff that that we see uh, in that sort of direct response space. And the more they started analyzing the results, the more viable it became as a tool for actual brand marketing and more of that that sort of awareness and positioning piece rather than sort of driving that that top of funnel awareness which I think is a really interesting transition. Yeah, and let's be honest, a lot of podcast advertising is not actually that expensive mm. and maybe doesn't deliver such a huge return either. But the point is, is we were at the podcast growth summit that we were at, there was talk about from one platform where you, you know, £500 or $500 can buy you an entry point. And that's the kind of thing where if you're a small brand, if you're a marketer, 
it doesn't cost a lot to experiment. It costs no, a lot, absolutely. You know, to experiment on, on TV, for example, would be much more expensive. Uh, not necessarily huge bucks, but still. So I again, I think that it's exciting. Actually, the this, the fact that it's all quite new makes it an opportunity to experiment. That's all we've got time for this week. But thank you to Gideon Spanier for joining me. Thank you to Brandon Lutz and Teresa Elliott from Miro and Ad Results Media for joining me. Thank you to Reem McCurry for being my co-host on the interview. And thanks to all of you for listening. We'll be back next week with more podcast news and analysis. But until then, you can follow us on social media at PodPodOfficial, visit us at PodPod.com and subscribe to our daily email bulletins. I've been Adam Shepard and this has been PodPod, produced by Ollie Peart for Haymarket Business Media. We'll see you next week. Bye.